Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm your host, Rob Warner, and today I'm joined by staff reporters Max Madden, Jack Harris, Mason Kern, and as always, site publisher Chris Cartman. Guys, on this Tuesday morning, how you all doing? I'm doing great, Rob. I hope all of our listeners were able to get out to the polls and vote today. I am doing awesome as well. It's uh, blue waves, red walls, and maroon and gold basketball kicking off today. Nicely stated. All I know is the Starbuckses are starting to play Christmas music, and it's really like throwing me off because like I work a lot in Starbucks, and Christmas music's not conducive to like trying to write really well. So I love Christmas music. Yeah, I'm doing great, Rob. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> well, we are recording this episode on Tuesday, November 6th, as ASU is approaching its senior night and salute to service game against UCLA, which will be on Saturday, November 10th. The game has a scheduled kickoff time at 12 p.m. local time and will be broadcast on Pac-12 networks. This episode will be mainly a review of ASU's win over then number 16, Utah. For the second time in the Herm Edwards era the, in his first season in Tempe, the team upset a top 20 team. The first time that happened was in week two when ASU defeated then 15, Michigan State 16-13. Chris uh, wrote his 10 takeaways from Utah. Be sure to check that piece out. It's on our homepage right now. On this episode, we'll have a breakdown of ASU's key plays that helped the team notch this upset win, how the Sun Devils relying on sophomore tailback Eno Benjamin played a critical role in the team's victory, the impressive and hyper-efficient effort of senior quarterback Manny Wilkins, the impact of Sun Devils junior wideout Nikhil Harry and what he seems to be able to do on a weekly basis, an evaluation of how Danny Gonzalez's defense competed against a Utes offense that had scored over 40 points in each of its last four games and what the win does for the Pac-12 race, some notes on ASU men's basketball and how the Pac-12 did in Week 10. And just before we break down those critical plays, Jack, could you give us just a quick update on the Pac-12 South standings and how they were updated following this past weekend? Yeah, so now when you when you look at the Pac-12, especially in the South, um, a whole bunch of three-loss teams. Um, of course, ASU right now, if you take a look, they're going to be in fourth place because uh, they're three and three, and there's three other teams above them at four and three right now, including Utah, USC, Arizona. Now, of course, ASU has the tiebreaker over Utah and USC on its head-to-head wins, as I think people are pretty aware of. The Sun Devils can win out and win the division. If they lose another game, they're probably going to need some help uh, they'll need Utah and USC to lose again to be able to win the division. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll need to beat Arizona at the end. So that's kind of where they are right now. But yeah, and control their own destiny with three to go in a, in a division that's, that's just really wide open and has been up and down all year. Right. And uh, before we jump into the offense, I want to ask you guys, which plays or player performances do you think uh, can be pointed to as a direct cause of why ASU was able to earn this big win over Kyle Whittingham's Utah team? Hmm. Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, the pretty obvious one, the 61-yard pass from Manny Wilkins uh, for a touchdown to Nikhil Harry. Uh, a lot of stuff happened on that play. Chris broke it down in his 10 takeaways about you know the cohesiveness of the offensive unit on that play. Uh, you had Nikhil uh, you know, shove off a, a would-be tackler, which is something that he does quite often, and then run into open space. Uh, and Kyle Williams delivering that huge block, and then uh, you know Harry lunging in uh, from a few yards out. Of course, upon review, it, it stood as a touchdown, and that was a big play that that ASU was able to get against a Utah secondary that I think has been pretty underrated this season. And obviously, you know, put them up eight, and ASU never. I mean, the game was never really that close from there. So that was obviously a big play. 
and uh, we'll move on to Mason now. Yeah, I think performance-wise, outside of the the three biggest offensive weapons in, in Wilkins, Benjamin, and Harry, I think um, Brandon Ayuk's performance, uh, six receptions, 101 yards, is is kind of a breakout game for him. So uh, the kind of the offense being able to to get production from a variety of different weapons really helped ASU get that victory. If you look at the stat sheet, it doesn't count as anything other than an incomplete pass, but Jermaine Lole grabbed and just whiplashed Utah starting quarterback Tyler Huntley into the ground Mm -hmm. that injured him and knocked him out of the game. Now, ASU gave up zero sacks in this game. Utah gave up three. That was a clear difference in the two teams. But when Huntley went out, I think it pretty much ended Utah's chances. So, So to me, that was the key play of the game. Yeah, and Lole also had a sack that pushed Utah out of field goal range. Uh, right before halftime, that was a very big play in the game as well. Yeah, that's the sequence I, I was going to bring up. Um, the fact that ASU was able to score right before halftime um, with Nikhil Harry catching that that pass and in the corner of the end zone that he got shaken up on a little bit. And then for the defense to come back, allow Utah to start driving at first, but then to get the sack, push the Utes out of field goal range, and be able to keep a lead at halftime. There's been a lot of games this year where ASU has outplayed a team in the first half but has gone into the locker room either tied or not up by as many as they should have been, like San Diego State, Stanford are the examples. USC I actually thought, well. Yeah, I actually thought Utah was the better team in the first half, but ASU goes into the locker room with the lead um, after giving up 17 straight points. That was a big turn of events because it set the stage for in the third quarter. The Utes had to pass the ball more. Right. I mean, you know, Hunley gets hurt, and ASU is able to, you know, kind of from then on, take control because I'm not convinced if, if Hunley stays in the game that, that ASU still wins um, I mean Utah aside from those those couple turnovers they had in the first half was playing very well they were um, moving so that the ball was, well yeah. that was a key sequence in the game I would go with the both of Utah's first possessions uh, of the first half and of the third quarter because both those possessions ended in interceptions and Herm Edwards has talked so much about how ASU has struggled in the third quarter and and Merlin Robertson's first career interception really brought some life into the crowd and really seemed to give ASU a jolt that sort of allowed them to carry it through the whole second half so I thought that was a very big play we'll move into the offense now and let's start with Eno Benjamin who rushed 27 times for 175 yards and two touchdowns averaging 6.5 yards per carry this is the sixth time this year he's rushed for more than 100 yards in the game. Second consecutive uh, week, he rushed for over 170 yards with, uh, excuse me, 175 yards with multiple scores. He's at 1,113 net rushing yards in, in 2018 for, for a first-year starter. That's the second most in the conference. He's leading the Pac-12 in rush yards per game with over 123 in outing. And he's tied for the second most touchdowns in the conference from positions other than quarterback. Something interesting. Do you, any of you guys know, really quick, do any of oh, you guys no. know who has the most touchdowns in the Pac-12 that's not a quarterback? This season? This season. Is it LaVisca Chenault? Nope. I guess he's been hurt. Uh, Michael Pittman? Nope. Chris, do you have an idea? I don't know. Who am I? Is someone on Washington State? Nope. Is it J.J. Arcega-Whiteside? Nope. I don't know. Jermar Jefferson with 12 okay. touchdowns. Oh, I should have guessed that. And what's really interesting is he didn't even start the year as the starter. He He's had two games where he's had less than eight eight carries, and he's got 12 touchdowns. Um, but uh, Benjamin's 11 are tied with Zach Moss and J.J. or Sega Whiteside. That was a better factoid than the Zacchaeus Moss thing, I'd I say, th- Rob. I don't know. I like the Zacchaeus <laughs> Moss thing a lot. Um, but why do you guys think Benjamin's been able to keep this kind of production up through this season? I think it's a couple things. One, um, 
there's really good balance in ASU's run game right now. Um, they're able to do a whole lot of different things. You see um, just kind of the base zone runs they do that they've been doing since the start of the season. But then they can also go to the gap power scheme stuff that they added in after the San Diego State game. Um, they've added this this good kind of RPO base where they put Tommy Hudson and Nick Ralston on the field mm-hmm. um, to add a little bit more size. And then on top of that, you know Benjamin, it can just he can he, he can really make things happen out of nothing. I think a good example is his his big touchdown run at the end of the game. Um, ASU is running a split zone where the the H back runs across the formation at the snap, which pulls the linebacker on that side that Benjamin eventually runs through. It pulled him across the formation as well. Now the play only happens because Benjamin's able to bounce it back outside through the hole that opens up on the left, which wasn't exactly where it was designed to go. But the fact that all of those confluence of things happen, where teams are having to adjust to to what the H backs are doing in ASU's offense and the way right. the, the the linemen pull around on some plays, coupled with Eno's ability or Eno Benjamin's ability to to make guys miss to to find the hole when, when things break down and then his breakaway speed, uh, it, I mean it. it you add all those things together, it's going to be a very good run game. He's been able to stay not only healthy, but fresh throughout games. You don't really see him. Like it always seems like he's running hard every time he gets right. it. Um, you know, Last week, he, he was telling reporters how he, he feels like he does a good job of avoiding big hits. Uh, John Simon, the running backs coach, thinks he reads the field well and is able to put himself in good spots to not take those, those shots. So it's all of those things that have really contributed um, to – what has been a crucial aspect of this ASU offense for them to be able to move the ball on the ground as well as they have the last couple of weeks. They've dominated time of possession. That's been a big reason why. Yeah, I think that's that's a pretty comprehensive review of Eno Benjamin so far this season, Jack. Uh, I think that you know the really important thing to hammer home here is is Eno Benjamin's ability uh, to stay durable throughout the entire season, to handle so many carries and, and not really ever slow down, and also durability combined with you know being so elusive and breaking out of tackles in a different way than Zach Moss does it. You know, Zach Moss is more of a power runner, sort of in your face in the trenches, and then Eno Benjamin will find the find the hole, spin off, put his hand on the ground, and keep going. And I think that that's something that has really guided him to be successful. As well as the, as the uh, um, you know the, the help of Nick Ralston and Tommy Hudson being blockers uh, in those extra H back and utility back uh, formations and the offensive line's performance so far this season. Yeah, the offensive line has been really great. Um, the short yard situations, notwithstanding, I would say in, in every other way, the offensive line has done a really good job. Uh, Eno Benjamin's durability, his toughness, his tackle breaking his balance Mm -hmm. you you put all that together and that is what gives you somebody that's a very special running back he's probably going to end up this season first or second all-time in carries per year or for a year Mm -hmm. uh and you got to go back to the frank cush peak era of the 70s to have anybody that really is in the same category and that's when they often ran the ball 75 percent of the time because right. football was a lot different then. Um, so I pose the question, and I just, I'll just i leave it for our listeners. Is Eno Benjamin now the best running back that ASU's had in the Pac-10-12 era? He's probably going to obliterate Ryan Train's Pac-10-12 era rushing record for a single season. Uh, he'll get there in another game or two. Uh, we're talking about 40 years, going back to 1978. Right. And he's uh, potentially got four more games this season if ASU can make a bowl. Potentially five. Potentially five. Yeah, probably four. But uh, 
But let's think about it. J.R. Redman was a really talented running back at ASU in the 90s when they went to the Rose Bowl and played a lot as a freshman. Uh, you had, of course, Demario Richard is in, in the career you know, top five because he was very successful early on and had great uh, uh, durability. Uh, and then after that, you start to have some questions about who else is in that type of a category. Marion Grice is really good. Ryan Tran, I mentioned, as a record breaker. You go back to the early 90s. Uh, and ASU had Mario Bates, who a lot of people felt like was extremely talented, but he did not put up the type of numbers that you know Benjamin is forecast to do. And then in the 80s, there was Daryl Clack, who was a, a really, really important player. But I think if Eno Benjamin has anything remotely close to what he did this season, again, next year, people are going to look at him as the best ASU running back in at least 40 years, probably more like 50 to 60 years, maybe ever. Moving on to Nikhil Harry and what he was able to do against Utah this past week. After his incredible performance that was critical in ASU's win over SC in Los Angeles, that included the 92-yard punt return touchdown that was a big factor in him winning Pac-12 Special Teams Player of the Week last week. This week, he gets the Offensive Award of Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week, and he's now second in the Pac-12 in receiving yards, 828 on the season, receiving yards per game with over 92. He's among... Uh, the guys who have played more than six games. He's fourth in the conference in total receptions as well with 55. He's on pace right now to finish as a top three wide out in ASU in the history of, of three very important statistical categories, uh, re- reception touchdowns, um, as well as receiving yards and receptions um, all time. He has nine touchdowns this season, making it for 22 in his career. And there's a lot more games for him to be played, at least this season, in the fact that there's at minimum three and at most five more games that he could play. After his performance uh, this past week, nine catches, 161 yards for three touchdowns, the most he's had in a game in his Sun Devil career. He was he was banged up a little bit after his first, or excuse me, after his second touchdown, the 23-yarder, uh, right before halftime. But he comes back in the second half, and he just had a really amazing game. And it just seems like we're starting to expect these games on a weekly basis. What did you guys make of his performance this weekend? Uh, he was fantastic. It, uh, that was probably the most impressed I've been with Nikhil Harry because, remember, he he has he bangs up his shoulder on the touchdown before right. halftime. Uh, came off the field like, okay, this is going to be a problem. Guys get shoulder injuries; they're usually done. They, they usually don't. Come. He goes into the locker room. They adjust. You know, they adjust his shoulder. Whatever happens, probably had a. I mean, I don't, I don't know this. I'm not reporting this. Probably had a sublux, which is like a minor kind of dislocation. They manipulate that back into place. But then you see him on the the long touchdown that he has. He's diving and extending his arm that of the shoulder that he had hurt out for the goal line on a touchdown. Mm-hmm. I just think that he showed a toughness factor. Uh, and then and then ASU put him in a position to be successful. Remember, right. this was the game in which uh, they had Kyle Williams and Akil Harry both in the backfield, and they were motioning them immediately before the snap. It was harder for uh, a formation strength defensive team like Utah to orientate to Nikhil Harry and where he was going to be. We saw RPO actions where he's in the slot and catching the ball on quick throws that are slants that he's right. turning into big gains. I thought the game plan was really good. Rob Likens did a really nice job putting him in position to be successful and and really they outcoached uh, Utah on defense. And going back to that play that, that Chris was talking about, the 61-yard touchdown reception, 
he he had to throw off the defender with that same shoulder as well. It was a uh, he got a penalty. It was a hold, and he threw off the defender to get open. So I mean, the durability that he showed throughout that game. I mean, it was the second week in a row where he put on a truly brilliant performance. So people have come to expect that. I mean, the te- his teammates have come to expect that. You know, Benjamin said that that's Nikhil. You guys should expect that by now. So I mean, people expect that performance, but he played really well for sure. And one more thing. Uh, Nikhil Harry's probably not going to come back next year, right? I was just yes. about to make that claim. Yeah, I mean he he's you know he's going to be a first or second round pick in the NFL draft. Uh, I don't see any reason why he's going to come back. So we're talking about a guy who's probably going to be playing his last game at Centerville Stadium uh, this weekend against UCLA. Everybody's going to be celebrating the seniors. Nikhil Harry won't have all that pomp and circumstance, but people need to really consider that this is the last time they may be watching him play in the stadium. So that's one question I have for you though, Chris, is the fact that. Last year for Arizona basketball, DeAndre Ayton and, and Atkins were, were honored in the uh, senior night festivities. And I was wondering if you think there's any chance ASU would do something like that for Harry. Uh, that's a good question. I, I think probably not. We're planning on talking to him today, uh, with probably within an hour of us recording this podcast, right. just about the possibility of him reflecting on this as being his last game at Sunnyvale Stadium. I haven't. I don't remember a time at ASU when they've honored a non-senior on senior day? I thought it was pretty unlikely. So, probably not. But if there's anybody that you're going to do it for, because he's a local guy and all that, and the the value of what he brought to the program, Mm -hmm. um, I can't rule it out. Right. And we can't really talk about what this offense did in the game against Utah without speaking about what the senior captain and quarterback Manny Wilkins did. He had his most efficient game of the season, completing 79% of his passes for 285 yards and three touchdowns. He did have one interception on the day. He used his legs very well to pick up two big third-down conversions with uh, with his legs. Do you guys think he's gotten better as the season's gone on? I think he's just been a little bit more accurate, like especially the last two weeks. Um, there haven't been quite so many overthrows uh, that we, we talked about a lot early in the season. I think it's also helped the, like these RPO formations that ASU is running um, are conducive for good short completions, um, picking up, you know, making easy throws, picking up easy yards to the air. Um, and I think you're also seeing it reflected in how his rushing numbers have gone up. So, yeah, I mean, he's – I mean, the only negative for him the last couple of weeks is, have been the turnovers, the fumbles, and then – the bad interception he threw against uh, against Utah on Saturday, but outside of that, I mean, that didn't come back to bite them. Um, and you know, he's kind of doing what I think. Like this is about the level. I think this is kind of him at his best, where he's not having to win games on his own, but when they put him in position to succeed, he's making the plays he needs to. Yeah, Rob, I I I think you're right about him getting better as the season moves on, and I think that. I mean, when you throw 19 of 24 for 285 and three touchdowns, of course, a lot of that was enabled by playmakers, you know, Eno Benjamin and Akil Harry, but that's kind of what Manny Wilkins' job is to, you know, Jack mentioned it. He's not going to, you know, he's not a gunslinger. He's not Patrick Mahomes going to come out, out there and throw 50 times a game unless really the game strict, uh, script dictates it, which ASU is trying to avoid. Uh, but I, I think that he has looked much more comfortable in the pocket. He's made some questionable decisions with turnovers in the last couple of weeks, but overall he's been extremely accurate and has enabled his offense to to function in the way that it wants to. Right, and like they've been saying, I mean, I think he's just gotten a lot more accurate um, compared to the beginning of the season with the overthrows and such. But 
to to say he's gotten better. I just like I said, I think it's just been more consistent. Like Max said, he's gotten more comfortable. I feel like, and obviously the the turnovers he he wouldn't like, and he only threw twenty four times in that game because ASU's running success uh, rushing game has been so successful lately. He's not getting the amount of of passing plays that that he's maybe accustomed to, and he's he's converting well on the ones and the opportunities that he's getting. And we're going to move on to defense now. The Danny Gonzalez-led defense surrendered just 20 points to a red-hot Utah offense that had scored over 40 points in each of its past four games and was arguably as hot as any offense in the conference. Overall, how do you guys think the defense performed in this game? Um, I think it's the turnovers were huge because right. outside of that, um, you know, that first drive, the Shari Crosswell interception, that should have been a touchdown or at least Utah should have had the ball inside the five there. They scored on their next three possessions. Then it was the, the possession at the end of the half. Then just the bad throw by Ty- Tyler Hunley early in the second half that Merlin Robertson picked off, and then Hunley gets hurt. Um, if those turnovers don't happen, I think it's a completely different game. I think if Tyler Hunley stays healthy, I mean, Utah was basically moving the ball every time they had it when they he was in the very game. Well. Yeah, and then even when he went out, they still were able to drive down the field and get a field goal on that possession, and then ASU scored and went up by eight, and it kind of changed the dynamic of the game. Um, but, you know, all season they, they haven't been getting those turnovers, and part of the, the deal with this defense is Danny Gonzalez wants to play a little bit more aggressive and, and hope for those those takeaways. And, you know, you, you end up with the three turnovers they did have. There was the the fumble that was at first called a fumble that got overturned, and then there was also the punt. So, I mean, they were, they were taking the ball away. That's something that, I mean – is huge is considering how how much they weren't doing it early in the season to see that happen i don't think it was their best game of the year um but when you can add those things in give the offensive short a short field it really changes the, the strong play of asu's corners in this game gave gonzalez a lot more options that he could do and and so you look back at previous games you can you know the big plays that uh that chase lucas gave up or Kobe Williams or whatever this game uh pro football focus ranked Kobe Williams by far the best uh cornerback in the league in 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 passing efficiency allowed um number two was a tie then included Chase Lucas and uh Utah has some atypical formations that could have been an issue for ASU with the way that they bring in these bunch sets and then they send guys crisscrossing throughout the field and other teams have had problems with that ASU Mm -hmm. didn't at all and so what happened was once Gonzalez got a handle on that and felt like those those guys were able to handle that they were able to to bring more and more pressure into the box and what what happened was they they brought more zone blitzes I mean run uh, run run blitzes and uh, and so Zach Moss's success which was easier to come by earlier in the game got harder to come by Huntley gets knocked out then you're bringing more guys in and uh, neither one of Utah's quarterbacks had 100 yards passing in the game right. the overall capability just wasn't there they just did not have a balance and uh, I thought that was a major factor in the game and the defense generated three sacks, seven tackles for loss. How did ASU putting pressure on Huntley, who was just seven for 15 for 88 yards, two picks, and then true freshman quarterback Jason Shelley, four of 11 for 59 yards and, and one interception? How did ASU do putting pressure on both those quarterbacks? Uh, I thought they did well. I think that Huntley really thrives when when he has a you know a cleaner pocket and has the ability to make a play with his legs that's not you know for his survival in the pocket. Of course, the pressure eventually got to Huntley and, and knocked him out of the game, which was a huge factor but 
you know, Huntley only completed seven passing attempts. Like you, like you mentioned, Rob, I think that, you know, guys that, that we figured that ASU might struggle to defend, you know, in the slot, guys like Britton Covey really couldn't be activated at all. And the offense struggled a little bit, um, obviously, when Huntley went out. Uh, Zach Moss was very good, though, in this game. I mean, 18 for 128. So, you know, we can get into the discussion that Jack and I were having a few days ago if maybe ASU doesn't win this game if, if Huntley stays uh, if Huntley stays in it. But overall, the reason he didn't is because ASU is able to generate a lot of pressure on the defensive line. And I think a big thing you say there is the fact that Zach Moss only had 18 carries. It's huge because if he gets up to 25, I mean, it just that shows the fact Utah was not able to run the ball as much as they normally would. Yeah, and we'll move now to our around the Pac-12 segment. Uh, Arizona beat Colorado 42-34. to That was a Friday night game. Number 16, Utah lost to Arizona State as we've broken down 38-20. to Oregon defeated UCLA 42-21. to Something funny about that game is I believe it was Oregon special teams that put up around 24 points in that game, and Chip Kelly has repeatedly said this season that he thinks that there's no need for hiring a special teams nope. coordinator. They'll just, they'll just have to have vacations during practice when they're not right. doing special teams that drills. That was the, the line in an L.A. Times article about it. Uh, Washington beat Stanford 27-23 to in a very close game uh, in which Washington was actually beating the Cardinal 21 to nothing. It got a lot closer at the end. Stanford had a chance to win, but some poor clock management was in play there. USC beat Oregon State 38-21 in a game where the Trojans didn't really pull away until the end of the game in Corvallis. Number 8, Washington State beat Cal 19-13. Um, what do you guys make of how the league did this past week? Um, just... It's kind of been like it's been all year. I mean, Washington State barely survives again. Um, I'm still not on that bandwagon. I think Washington's going to win the North. Um, and then, I mean, you know, we've we've kind of covered the South and, and just the the inconsistent and kind of unpredictable play. Right. Um, I'd say the one thing that might matter to ASU fans, Arizona's playing much better offensively in recent weeks. Um, and you kind of look at that game, that Territorial Cup game at the end of the season could be a big one. Uh, so just something to keep an eye on. The Wildcats' defense really did not look good, though. No, they're not. Yeah, they're not without, good without Chanel and without a lot of their playing. Yeah, they're not so. good on defense. But I mean, the offense was yeah. so putrid early in the season and starting to turn a corner. Look, mo- most of these games went pretty much as expected. Uh, you you look at other than ASU Utah, which I think <laughs> took some people by surprise, including right. me. But uh, the Arizona Colorado, okay, that could have gone either way. But it's not like you were you were shocked by that. Oregon should have beat UCLA by three touchdowns and did so. Washington Stanford was probably a line that we said going in was was too big, mm-hmm. ended up being a four point game instead of a ten point line, pretty much as you would expect. USC won by right at the the margin. Yeah, um, and we'll move into a recent commitment ASU had uh, just before ASU's game against Utah. Donovan West, a three star offensive lineman recruit, announces commitment to ASU. He's the number. 941 recruit in the 2019 class, the number 88 prospect in California, according to 24-7 composite rankings. We'll dive more into that analysis on West and what's been going on with ASU recruiting on the Thursday member-only podcast, so make sure you guys tune into that. But um, as we're getting into some of this Pac-12 South craziness that's ensuing, I just want to announce some of the possibilities that could happen for who wins the South. So if ASU wins out, Herm Edwards' team will play and represent the South in the Pac-12 championship game from Levi Stadium in Santa Clara on November 30th. ASU could lose one game if Utah, USC, and Arizona all lose one game, and ASU in that possibility would still win the South. If Utah wins each of its last two games and ASU loses one game, the Utes are in. 
If Arizona wins out, Utah loses once, and USC loses once, as well as ASU losing once, then U of A would make it. There's also a possibility for a six-way tie in the Pac-12 South. Uh, there was an article in The Athletic about it. Uh, all teams actually could finish 5-4 and four or 4-5. and five. That would require UCLA winning out. USC, not, UCLA would have to win out, and happen. a lot would have to go wrong for teams like... If The uh, Athletic is writing about that, they're wasting their time. <laughs> it was a very funny piece. I just want to ask, how do you guys make sense of how this race is unfolding? Look, it's pretty straightforward. There's three teams that have a good chance, or at least a decent or better chance. USC, ASU, Utah. USC has its quarterback knocked out for the season, even though... You mean Utah. Utah. Sorry, did I, what did I say? USC. Sorry, Utah. Daniels yeah. is back. Dan, Dan, <laughs> Daniels is back, sorry. Utah has his quarterback knocked out for the season. It had an advantageous final two games, probably, but now is more likely to lose one of those games. USC has the best schedule playing Cal and UCLA. Cal, they get at the Coliseum. ASU has a tougher schedule than either of those two teams and has to win all three of its games, one extra game than those other two teams. Uh, I think USC is the most likely team to win the South, followed by close between ASU and Utah. Nobody else is going to win the South because Arizona has to go play at Washington State. That's going to be a loss, very likely. Even if it's not a loss, U of A is at, at no better than 50-50 to beat ASU. Right. So would be a really interesting territorial cup if that game was going to decide who wins the Pac-12 South, which is possible. It it could happen. And remember, uh, USC's playing Notre Dame that weekend. Utah's playing BYU that weekend, so they're actually done by the time. Right. So Jack actually posited a scenario in which ASU could already have wrapped up. Yes, this is this is my fun like just wild start. Like, what if ASU? <laughs> They could clinch the Pac-12 South, uh, the penultimate week of the regular season against Oregon, if USC and Utah both lose by then, Um, and if U of A loses at Washington State by then. And then, like, what if they go down to Tucson and just get, like, smacked, but they're still going to the Pac-12 title? Like, it could just be a really weird... It would have to be a multi-away tie, though, right? Because... And what's funny is there could be a five-loss team potentially in the Rose Bowl this year. Yeah. Five losses. There could be. Um, we'll move into ASU basketball after. after but probably finishing. not going to happen because Mike Leach is beasting. No, nope. no, Washington. I don't know. Washington State just barely Washington. beat Cal, and Cal is. You think Washington's going to beat Washington State? I do. I really do. I think you're wrong. Well, I think Washington State's probably going to win too. I just the fact that they really struggled against Cal at home. I mean, here's whoa. here's something I could tell you about the Apple Cup. What you know about the Pirate? <laughs> Washington beats Washington State. It's a yearly tradition. And no matter how good Washington State is, the Huskies always go in there and ruin it for them. So yeah. Chris can give some Mike Leach-type advice sometimes, I feel like. I can always give some yeah. Mike Leach advice. Right. Okay, The Before team's this... always going to be better than everybody thinks they're going to be. All it's right. like a guarantee. Yeah. Jake Browning's confidence is in shattered in pieces on the ground right now. Like, it, like it, I don't think, I just don't see it. All right, before this segment goes completely off the walls, let's move to ASU basketball. The season begins tonight with a non-conference matchup against Cal State Fullerton. Cal State Fullerton is coming off of a big West tournament championship last year. And I want you guys' projections and predictions for a couple statistics or a couple couple key categories for ASU this year. Everybody's top scorer this year. Chris, well, first we'll of all, can we give a shout-out to Diedrich Taylor? I was going to say. Former, former ASU, ASU assistant coach who's now the head coach 
at Cal State Fullerton, and they went to the NCAA tournament last year, right? So good shout out, shout out there. But uh, he's a great guy. Um, you guys go first on your on your answers to this question. Jack, we're just doing top scorer right now. Just top score. Zion Cheatham. I'm gonna go Tayshawn Cherry. It's bold, Mason. Wow, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a <laughs> interesting <laughs> one. Um, I think. Uh, okay, I guess we can't really qualify. We're just gonna go quickly. I'm gonna say Remy Martin. I'm gonna go with Remy Martin as well. I, I Mason, I think that going with Tayshawn Cherry is even bolder than me going with uh, Darian Butler to lead ASU in tackles. <laughs> yes, much definitely. Well, one of those guys starts. Somewhere. I'm gonna say that sounds probably crazy. I'm gonna say Rob Edwards leads the team. That's, uh, that's fair. Can I change mine? Actually, I'd rather do Rob Edwards. Wow. Jesus. This is how it normally I'm going. Goes. I'm, I'm changing to Rob Edwards. I'm sorry. I, I didn't. I inform Rob's brain and his uh, decision. All right, top rebounder, Max. I I'm just very surprised that in a group of five people, I'm the only one that thinks that Remy Martin could lead in scoring. I mean, he's I think he could. I think Rob Edwards is better, or is most likely to lead in scoring. I mean, uh, yeah. All right, top rebounder, he Max. Like your turn. A game last year with like 9.6 points per game, so he's not he's not like a scorer. Scorer. I think he'll be bigger distributor. And, well, oh, the, our, 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 our indecision on this is is actually something we should just mention really quickly. It indicates there's probably going to be four or five guys that are all between 10 and 15 points. Yeah. Okay, so top rebounder for the I think Cheatham will do that too. I, the, I think the minutes are going to be split so evenly between Romello White and Daquan Lake, and Cheatham's probably going to play more. Uh, just kind of factors into that. Yeah, I have to second that. I think Zion Cheatham will lead in rebounds. I'm going to third that. Fourth. I'm going Romello White. I think there's a chance that he leads the team in rebounds this Fi- year. Final answer. That's if no, he can no catch change. the ball. No chance. Fan, fan, ASU fans don't even want Romello White to play more minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we're going to move on. Most frequent starting lineup. Uh, I'll go Remy Martin, Rob Edwards in the backcourt, Kamani Lawrence, small forwards, Island Cheatham uh, at the four, and then Romello White will probably start most often at the five. I'll go exactly the same starting lineup. I think the biggest difference I have is, well, the biggest question I think is Kamani Lawrence and Tayshaun Cherry and how that sort of sorts itself out and other questions about depth in the front court. Uh, but other than that, I think that's a pretty solid starting lineup. That's about what I have. I could see Dort or Lawrence switching out at the three or uh, Edwards and Dort also switching out at the two at times. I think the the biggest question will be whether it is Dort or Lawrence as the fifth starter. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say Dort is the fifth is the fifth starter more often. So that would be Remy Martin, Rob Edwards, Dort, Cheatham, and Romello White. So you so do you think do you think it's likely that Dort because he seems to be ASU's second option as as the point guard right now that he could come off the bench. Kind of like what Remy Martin would do last year. He'd come off the bench and could fill in multiple roles depending on who was playing in the backcourt. Because that's kind of how I saw it breaking, and coupled with how well Bobby Hurley said Kamani Lawrence has played this preseason. Well, the, the main reason why it wouldn't be Dort is because they don't have as many backcourt options, and so they're trying to give themselves more off mm-hmm. the bench for the backcourt. The reason I think that it probably I'm leaning toward saying it's Dort is because teams go really small. There's a lot of small ball, and you have you have to be able to guard the the other side. And I don't know that Lawrence gives you as much against the type of lineups that ASU is going to be facing. Yeah, okay. True. And Bobby Hurley said that Lugan Stork could be when it's all said and done, like the best defensive guard he's ever coached. But they'll be big off the bench if they do that. Very. Yeah. Um, overall win total, Chris. 
Uh, right around 20, right around the same as last season. They'll, I, what I think will happen is they'll lose three or four games in the non-conference. And then instead of being like an eight-win team in the league, they'll probably win like 10 or 11 in the league. I'm exactly with you. I think they'll win nine in the non-conference, 11 in conference, 20 total. I have nine and four non-conference, and then I think 11 wins or 10 wins in conference, so a 19-win team right on the bubble. I'm going to go a little higher. I would go 21 to 22. You have to also factor in the Pac-12 tournament. Yeah. If they end up like a four seed or something like that, they're much more likely to advance a round or two. Right. I'm going to go with 21 wins. I think that is what I have. I have about I have about 12 conference wins. I think they'll do a much better job on the road this year. Um, will they make the tournament? Uh, yes or no only. Whoa. I'm going to say yes. Just strength the schedule will be good again. They'll have a pretty good conference schedule probably, but it's going to it's going to be another squeaker. I will say yes, but so I look at it like last year if you look at UCLA, and I'm, I'm ignoring your rule. Yeah, you're Rob. totally ignoring. If you look at UCLA and USC, UCLA had fewer wins than the Trojans did, but they had a non-conference win over Kentucky. USC lost all its big non-conference games against SMU and Oklahoma. So that's where for ASU, it just depends which non-conference games they win. That could depend on on if they make it or not. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Yes. Okay, I'm going with yes as well. So we all have ASU making the tournament. And there's plenty of good basketball content coming to our site. We have a season preview, a Remy Martin feature, and an interesting article on some of the team measurables you can check out. That will be up later on in the day today, November 6th. But for all of us here at Sun Devil Source, for staff reporters Max Madden, Jack Harris, Mason Kern, and site publisher Chris Cartman, I'm your host Rob Warner saying so long, and thank you for tuning in.